welcome everybody to today's podcast, Financial Wellbeing and Other Types of Wellbeing. My name's David Lloyd and I'm here with my uh, very good friend Chris Budd. Chris, say hello. Hello, David. Also in the room here, we've got Ian, our producer, we've got Julie, our editor. At some point, Ruby, my dog, will probably try and make an appearance as well. So uh, welcome, man and beast and, and woman, indeed. <laughs> welcome. We're right, waffling now. Okay, back to the podcast. We're going to look at lots of different issues that make up financial well-being. Uh, we'll look at creating a financial plan that's going to make us uh, happier and not just wealthier. We'll take a few side roads probably on the way, digress a little every once in a while. Otherwise, it'll get a bit dull and it's nice to go down a few tangents. Would you agree, Chris? I think that's something we're very good at, David. <laughs> it is indeed, yes. Now, this is all about the Financial Wellbeing book, the proceeds of which are going to the Penny Brawn, that's B-R-O-H-N, Cancer Centre. Uh, Chris talked a lot about that in podcast number one. So over our journey in these podcasts, we're going to look at issues like uh, creating a financial forecast, uh, investment risk, analysing our spending so we can work out how much money we really have and then how to spend that money to increase happiness. That's the fun part. It is the fun part indeed. And make sure you subscribe as well so that you can get future podcasts. We're also really, really keen that this is a dialogue. We really want people to be talking to us. We want people to be coming onto Twitter, at FinWellbeing. We want them to be going onto the website. We want them to be chucking in ideas and thoughts. We don't have all the answers. We'd really like people to be throwing their thoughts and ideas and questions, and we can talk about them in future podcasts. Right, okay, that's the preamble. Chris, do you want to remind us what financial well-being is, and then also perhaps tell us what we're going to be looking at today? Sure. Thank you, David. So the financial well-being is... Um, is all about creating a financial plan to make ourselves happier, not just wealthier. And we're going to look today at how financial well-being works with, is impacted by and impacts upon the other areas of well-being, which are community well-being, social well-being, friends and family, financial well-being, clearly, physical well-being, hopefully fairly obvious, how fit and healthy we are, and career well-being. So financial well-being is just one aspect of the whole thing of well-being. Absolutely. This, this comes from um, a long study by Gallup on well-being, and this is what they have reported back, that people report as the main five areas that make up their overall well-being. And although the book looks at financial well-being, it's really important that we look at how they interact with each other, because you shouldn't focus on just one over all the others. They are all interact, they all work together, and we've got to make sure we keep an eye on everything. Well, uh, I thought we'd start off by having a little chat about success. Oh, success. I'm yeah, something success. that you know a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm up and down. I've had a you know a long career as a freelancer. It's had some very successful moments and some less successful yeah. moments. Well, we're going to focus on the successful ones. That's I think. what I like the sound of. Um, we're going to what what makes success? What in society do we consider as being a benchmark of success? I was watching um, a bit of telly last night, Dragons Den. And in Dragon's Den, they were talking about the people who had done well. And they defined the people that had done well all by how much money they had made. You look at how those five people are lined up, big wad of cash in front of them, they have the power to change people's lives. So success is money, it's power. You look at The Apprentice, Alan Sugar's able to fire people, he's got the power. These apprentices are trying to get into his good books, get a job with him for a big salary, it's about the money. And that kind of got me thinking. I also, as it happened, Tom in our office, a marketing apprentice, had sent me, he'd found a, a very interesting 
TED talk, actually, about a Harvard survey. And this Harvard survey had followed a bunch of 19-year-olds through their lives every two years, asking them, were they happy? And what was making them happy? And they've been doing this for 75 years. So some of these people are now in their 90s. They started with 700 and something. They've got 60 odd still going. And when they asked them at the beginning, what makes you happy? What do you think will be successful? They all said, firstly, I'll get rich. And secondly, I'll be famous. So rich and famous were the two things that they said would make them At the happy. start of their journey. At the start of their journey, the age of 19. Half of them were from a poor area of town. Half of them were Harvard students. And what they've discovered over the years is overridingly the biggest impact on their happiness has been their social relationships. It's been their friends and their family and the strength of those relationships and the number of them. Well, it's interesting you say that because uh, as somebody who's um, got quite a bit of my future in front of me, but most of my future is probably behind me, should we say. <laughs> <laughs> I had a period, when was it? 2005, so what, about 10 years ago, where I had, financially, the most successful year that I've ever had as a writer. I was writing for EastEnders, I was writing for Casualty, uh, I was writing for Doctors, and so I was, I'd, all the time I had projects on the go, writing projects on the go. I remember my mum was quite ill at the time, so I was also uh, making regular trips up to uh, Merseyside, where my parents lived, to see her, and I was even taking a laptop and working on the train to catch up on scripts, uh, going there and back in a day. When I look back on that time, I, I don't remember it as being a happy time. It was actually a really miserable time. Uh, my mum was ill, actually my wife also got breast cancer at the time, uh, and all I seemed to be doing was just working and working and working and working and working, and at the end of it, I got a whacking great big tax bill, um, I had lots of money in the bank, but it was probably the most miserable year for a whole variety of reasons. But certainly the work that I did and the money that I earned that year didn't bring me any happiness at all. The 90-year-olds that the Harvard survey is talking to, the conclusion that they reach is things like the people in their 90s who have the strongest relationship with each other are the least likely to have memory loss. So there's a physical aspect to this as well, which really quite surprised me. Um, people who are lonely die earlier. Mm. So what's the relevance of this to financial well-being? The point is that when we've got this disposable income, we talked about that being the fun part, maybe we should spend this on our friends a bit more. Maybe we should use our finances to help us to propagate our social relationships. Well, you say that. I've offered you a free trip to go and watch the rugby this weekend and you've turned me down. <laughs> so here's me trying to do my best to spend a bit of happiness. And just because you love your mother more than me and it's Mother's Day, you've chosen to look after her. So nobody else would take you up on it and I was the last. I'm not sure that quite counts as large yes, David. I'm not, I'm not falling for that. Chris, you were first on my list. So using money to to make ourselves happier, not wealthier, that's what the whole thing is all about here. And the first of these, therefore, the social relationships is actually the thing that makes us happier than anything else. So this Harvard study showed. Not power, not rich, not what Dragon's Den and The Apprentice teach us, but happy relationships. Here's another one for you. Yeah. The likelihood of being happy is increased by 15% if someone that you're directly connected to is happy. Oh, I see. So then if that could be one of your kids or yeah. your wife, partner. partner. Yeah. 
your mum, whoever it might be. Like the cricket club, best mate under pub. If you're yeah. in the pub with somebody who's having a good old whinge, then you kind of come back with your, <laughs> with your head down a little bit. That's why you? I never get the pub with you, Chris. Thank I know. <laughs> no, but that's true. But that's true, though, isn't it? I mean, I, I, if my friends are happy, it kind of makes me feel yeah. good as well. And you're having a brilliant nature about you. That's a compliment. Mm. Um, and that means that it kind of lifts other people. Uh, but by the same nature, the likelihood of being happy jumps by only 2% if you get a pay rise. So getting more money in your pocket makes you a bit happier. Having a mate that's happy makes you quite a bit happier. You and I are both big cricket fans in the 80s and 90s. The England cricket team wasn't great, was it? Uh, that's the understatement of the year. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that Duncan Fletcher brought in was the principle of celebrating your teammates' success. Hmm. Nothing financial, you know, it's not about getting a bonus if you win a game. It's about if one of your teammates um, gets 100 and you're all out on the balcony saying, well done, you've got a better team. Mm. So it's about enjoying each other's success, being happy and being around people that are happy, I suppose. So we've been talking generally about happiness, about how money doesn't make you happy. And yet this is a financial well-being podcast. So how do you square that circle? accepting what we've got, realising what makes us happy, realising that maybe it's not just getting rich, maybe it's about wondering and understanding what makes us happy and doing more of that. And we can increase our options by having more money, but we can come the other way. We can work out what makes us happy and realise that that doesn't always cost a lot of money. And therefore that plan comes together, the two sides of it come together, that you've got what you want out of life and the money you have to achieve it. And hopefully they'll meet in the middle. The big theme of all of these podcasts and the book and everything we're doing with financial well-being is this know thyself principle. It's not rocket science. That really is all it's about. What makes you happy? Oh, lots of things. Uh, going back to cricket, taking wickets at cricket, scoring a century at cricket. That's something I've never done. But so. <laughs> well, that would make you happy. It would make me very happy. Yeah. I love going on holidays. You know, I love travel. I love meeting people. I love going to football, but only when we win. Yeah, things like that. You could use your money to do one of those things, which is to travel more. Mm. All the other things don't really require much money. If we focus our spending on the things that we know make us happy, and it can be the little things, it can be the relationships, then that's going to increase our well-being. Um, if I can give an example, uh, I went to Copenhagen recently, took the family to Copenhagen. Very, very old friend of mine who I hadn't seen for over 20 years, but we were best mates when I was in my late teens and early 20s, had the most wonderful weekend, very, very memorable, and that will stay with us forever, not least of which because I've met up with my old mate Jacob again. Mm. Okay, so you think that the acquisition of things per se isn't necessarily going to make you happier if it doesn't relate to you doing something that makes you feel good. Exactly, and if we relate that to the other types of well-being, in this case social, if you can spend that money on something to do with friends, family, then that's a double whammy. Here's a good one. What do you think of this idea? I only came across this this morning. Gifted deposit. The idea is a bit like crowdfunding, peer-to-peer lending. You go onto a website and you put in a reason why you'd like to have some money, please, to pay a mortgage. So you raise your money for your mortgage from your peers. Oh, wow, that's good. That's a little bit like that thing they used to have. I don't know if it's still going in a... In a back page of a private eye where people just go, you know, desperately need money for this. I did any of those people ever get sent any money? Some of them were great fun as well. The idea, I want to go travelling for three years, please give me the money for it. That's right. Yeah. It's not dissimilar, mm. except you've got to put a bit harder work into it. You've got to put a pitch to it. It's not launched yet, it comes out in April. I just thought it was a really, in, it's like charity 
but I guess they say it begins at home. It's for me. Me, there was one of them was uh, somebody and their wife were a bit hard up having to live with their parents. They'd almost got enough for a deposit, only needed another five thousand, and so basically asked for it. And the rewards are not financial, but the rewards might be come around our house and we'll make you dinner. Well, what a nice idea. Now, interestingly, uh, there's a young lad who lives in Backwell, where we live, who um, a few years ago, he set up an open source project uh, under Indiegogo, which is a similar form of uh, crowdfunding. And his idea was that he developed a robotic hand. He wanted to make one that could be basically made on a home 3D printer. And that was his ambition. And I talked to him, a lad called Joel, about his ambitions for this project. He never talked at all about the money that he could make out of it. He just talked about what he could do to improve people's lives. And he has gone from strength to strength to strength. And he is now producing that robotic hand. Uh, and he's doing really, really well. And that's come from his desire not to make money out of it, but to improve people's lives. And, and me buying into that made me feel good in a way good that... use of your money. Yeah, in, in a way that investing in a share, perhaps, never would have done. It's what I think they miss on Dragon's Den, for example. It's all about what return can I get. Mm. And I understand why they're entrepreneurs, that's why they're doing it. But wouldn't it be interesting if there was a Dragon's Den all about... What happiness will I get if I invest in you? And I dare say the dragons on Dragon's Den get a lot of happiness from seeing people succeed as well as their return on money. But certainly a lot of startup investments, it's about the money. Maybe a little bit of a change of focus to, to happiness wouldn't be a bad idea. So here's a question then. When is enough enough? When have you accumulated enough wealth so that you don't need to worry about getting more money? Actually, you can then say, right, I've got everything that I need. I can now start to use that money for my own happiness rather than putting it aside as a nest egg for the future, for example? That question, how much is enough, is at the heart of the entire conversation we're having here. Mm. Everybody should work out that question, how much is enough? And in some circles, and I don't necessarily disagree, the answer comes in the form of a number. People will say, what's your number? I don't like that so much. I think it's a little simplistic. You need to work out what your life looks like. And yes, there may be a number, an amount of money that will enable you to give you that life, but it's a bit more subtle than that. Nevertheless, how much is enough is a really important question. It's partly about ending up with an amount of money that gives you the life you want, but also, and I guess that's what we're talking about today, it's enjoying the journey to get there as well. I'm reminded of a story. Uh, this may not make the final cut, but I'll put it in anyway. Uh, uh, many years ago, it's quite possibly an apocryphal story. Uh, Harold Wilson, who was the then Prime Minister, and his wife Mary were entertaining uh, the French Prime Minister Charles de Gaulle and his wife to dinner. And uh, Mrs. Wilson uh, leant over to Madame de Gaulle at one point and said, uh, Tell me, Madame de Gaulle, what is it that brings you the most fulfilment in life? And she thought for a while and said, uh, I think uh, a penis. And there was a rather embarrassed pause around the table. And, uh, and then uh, President de Gaulle leant forward and said, I think my wife is trying to say, Happiness. You can tell I'm an actor. It just trips off the tongue automatically. But I think that is the point, isn't it? You know, bad joke or otherwise. Happiness is key. I was talking to somebody um, earlier today who'd just come back from a weekend in Manchester where I was at university. And I said, oh, I love Manchester. I said, I think I probably had three of the happiest years of my life when I was a student in Manchester. And that's dead true. But I was a student. I was skint. 
I had no money at all. Apart from when I won, Aldeniti won the Grand National at 12 to 1, and I had a pound on it, and I won 12 pounds, which seemed like an awful lot of money then. Is that, if you just give an investment advice? <laughs> yeah, I don't, some, I'm not licensed, I can't. I have to give some caveats to that, that story. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of brings us on a little bit to the second of our five, physical. Physical well-being is fairly straightforward. Being fit and healthy makes us happy. I don't think that's that's rocket science, really. Yeah, that's true. I know uh, it's the release of endorphins, whatever it is. So, yeah, that thing about physically being well is certainly true for me. And doesn't cost you much money. No. And that's the point. So there isn't really much relationship between physical well-being and financial well-being. And that, in a way, is the point. If somebody is saying they can't get fit because they haven't got enough money, that's just an excuse. Uh, take your dog for a walk, which is something else I probably need to do. Uh, there's not a lot more to say, really. There's not a, not a lot of financial planning you can do to make you fitter. Um, the career well-being, just to touch on it very briefly, is about how engaged we are. If you have a good financial plan, you know where you're going in life, you know what you want, then career well-being should be able to come from it. Now, not everybody in this world is going to be as lucky as we are to do jobs that they enjoy so much and sometimes people you've got to do a job that you don't enjoy the more you can get engaged with your job the more well-being will come that has certainly been shown well i think that's true i think i know so many people who are just so unhappy in their work and yes you're right there's there's, there's a there's a practical approach where you say well you have to earn money to get bread on the table but i sometimes say to them if you are that miserable in your job why don't you get another one? Oh no i couldn't do that Oh, no. This is my job. Difficult area. Mm. I've got somebody that I want us to chat to about um, workplace well-being and how we can improve well-being in the workplace and, and link that with financial well-being because that will be a whole other podcast. Mm. Should we go on to the last of the five, which is community well-being? Mm. Community well-being is, I think, quite interesting and possibly slightly controversial. I don't know what you think about this. You tell me. There's... Um, an organisation called the Knight Foundation, which has worked extensively with Gallup again, and they've been looking at what makes a happy community. And it's come down to three particular areas that they say is what makes the happiest place to live. And the three things are having acceptance of others, having nice places to go out and interact, so restaurants, bars, etc., theatre, and aesthetics looking nice they are the three things that they say are the most important things about a place to live i don't know what you think about well i'm a big fan of community i I think you you get back what you put in Uh, you might not get it back immediately so it's not always on a quid pro quo basis Uh, let's go back to cricket which you know you and i are big fans of now you and i also are very involved with our local cricket club doing youth coaching you because you've got two uh kids involved and i sometimes ask myself why I still do it. I started off... I often wonder that. Isn't <laughs> uh, so I started off when my son, who is now 27, was 12. And he very quickly decided he didn't want to get involved in cricket. But I somehow have managed to carry on doing youth coaching pretty much ever since then. And I say to myself, why do I still do this? And the reason is, I think, largely because of community. Because it's great to work with young kids who are people that you know, you might know their parents... That huge feeling that you and I know about on a Friday evening when we're down at the club doing the training, when everything comes together, when you've got loads of kids having a good time, their parents are there at the bar having a drink. For me, that makes me happy because I feel that I am putting something in and getting a huge amount back from my community. 
getting involved in a community event. That's got the social aspect of it as well. It's little things like that of how we can use money. I think the social aspect is key to that, really, because it's very easy to say, well, I'm a very busy man. I haven't got time to do this. So, I'll, oh, oh, you want money? I'll write you a cheque. There you go. Now go away and don't bother me again. I suppose that's one way of investing into community. But for me, it is the social interaction that increases not only my own personal happiness, but the happiness and well-being of, of, of everybody else. Well, we'll be the judge of that, David. Thank you. <laughs> So that's it. That's the five areas of well-being. Financial well-being is only one of them. And it's really important that we are referencing each of the other areas of well-being and not just focusing on one at a time. Chris, it's been a pleasure as ever talking with you about financial well-being and all of the issues that go around that and particularly social well-being, which I think we've touched on quite a lot today. So uh, just a reminder, uh, Chris's book about financial well-being is coming out in May. And a bit nearer the time, we'll have more details on where you can get hold of that. Thanks for listening, and we look forward very much to having you on board the next time we put one of these out there in the ether. And thanks also, of course, to Ian, Julie, and Ruby the Snoring Dog. If you want to be notified of upcoming podcasts, make sure you click the subscribe button. For more information on the topics discussed in today's podcast and to purchase a copy of the Financial Wellbeing book, please visit www.finwell-being.co.uk. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas on financial well-being. You can send us an email at contact at financialwell-being.co.uk. You can follow us on Twitter at finwellbeing. Chris is Ovation Chris and David is at David underscore Backwell. This has been an Ovation Finance production. Thanks for listening to the Financial Wellbeing Podcast. More interesting than you might think. My Maserati does 185. I lost my license, now I don't drive. Mm-hmm.